So we're in a series, we're talking about the, the stuff that sickens the soul, and we're talking about the cure for the common soul, and it's always the gospel, but we've, uh, we've had all these distinctives. Today, we're going to talk about one of the things that, that causes sickness and brokenness is our distrust of God. And, and can I tell you, um, honestly, I really, I, I was not excited about this series um, when we started it. After that Holy Spirit series, I mean, I was just like, I wanted to kind of continue in that one because it was so good. And uh, it's not that I thought this was going to be a stinker, but I didn't think it was going to be good. This has been really good. Uh, this has been so challenging to me personally, and I've heard from many of you. And so I'm excited today to get to, uh, to talk about distrust of God. We live in a broken world, and we have reason to distrust other people. Uh, I had a new lawnmower a couple of months ago, and I was doing everything the manual said, all right? And it said that I was supposed to use the oil that was in it for about 10 times. And then after that, I was supposed to put in the right kind of oil. And I didn't know what the right kind of oil was. So I went to the place where I, I bought the lawnmower and they showed me the right kind. I brought the manual and I said, now how much do you think I'm supposed, it's kind of like a quiz, how much do you think I'm supposed to put in there? And they said, well, I see you've got your manual. What does it say? So it says this much. I said, that, so I bought that much. I said, so this much? I said, yes. So I said, no more. It doesn't need any more than this. What about less? Well, you could put less, but don't. Just put in what it says. So I did. And I was about to leave. He said, okay, one more, real, real, real quick. I said, yes. He said, when you put in this new oil, the first time you start it up, it might smoke a little. A little is a subjective term. I went home, I started this thing, and it began to smoke. Was it a little? I don't know. My wife came out there. She asked what was going on. I said, they said it would smoke a little. She says, is this a little? I said, I, I don't know. She said, I don't think so. When the neighbors started showing up, <laughs> I began to wonder, you know, is this, is this too much? So here's what our neighbors saw when they came to my house that day. <laughs> is that a little? I don't know. didn't seem right. That's a lot. It filled our house. It filled our neighborhood. We don't have mosquitoes this year, which is awesome. And if you'd like for me to come by your house and blow up your lawnmower, I'm here to serve. So I've ha I have a little bit of distrust with lawnmowing companies. They said a little. I just don't know. So we, we've all had experiences that would create distrust for other people, and that makes sense. But you know what doesn't make any sense is to distrust God. I mean, we have no reason that we should do that, but we do. We, we're like Eve. We, we have this temptation. And, and what the temptation basically says is, you can't trust God. 
He doesn't have your best interest in mind. I mean, think about what the serpent said to Eve in the garden, Genesis chapter 3. I mean, just listen to the tone of the interrogative. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She gave, uh, also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So what does the enemy do? You can't trust God. He doesn't have your best interest in mind. He doesn't understand what you're going through. You, you, you need to be your own God. You need to define things in your own terms. You need to do it your own way. God's just holding you back. As soon as you do what you want to do, then you're on your own God. You don't need him anymore. That's what God's scared of. You don't need to be afraid of that. You need to do your thing. Don't trust God. That is the temptation that we all hear. And often we consider God our enemy rather than our loving Father. Rather than obeying Him and trusting His motives and, and His love for us, we commit treason. That's what sin is. It's treason against the high King of heaven. It's treason that says, I don't trust you I don't believe in you. I don't think you want what's best for me. So I have to go out on my own. When we're talking about distrust, let me give you a definition, okay? Distrust, first of all, is a, is a consequence of pride. We talked about pride last week. Humble people trust God. It's only proud people that don't trust God. Proud people who say, God, you're wrong, I'm right. God, you know, I, I know more than you. I know better than you. That's what proud people do. So understand, it's a consequence of pride that stems from the belief that God is not truly holy and good, resulting in spiritual blindness and instability. So the first step is we say, God, you don't, you don't know what's best. And once we've made that step, we enter into darkness. And in that darkness, we depend upon ourselves, which causes instability. Because when you're at odds with God and you're in darkness, you have no sure footing. You have no sense of direction. You have no security in your identity or purpose. Here's what we all know. Our feelings will lead us astray. Our heart doesn't always know best. How many of you can say, just with a show of hands, you trusted your heart and your heart led you to do something that wasn't the right thing to do. Show of hands. Most of you. How many of you can say that throughout your years of living, you've had many thoughts and all of them have not been perfect thoughts that you've made bad decisions with your thoughts? Show of hands. Sure, that's all of us. Husbands are getting elbows this morning. Easy out there. So here's what we know. We can't trust our own hearts. We can't trust our own thoughts. And if we don't trust God, we have to trust us. But when we trust us, here's what we know. No sure footing. No sense of purpose. No sense of solid identity. No sense of direction. That's what it is to be lost. When the Bible talks about being lost, that's what the Bible's talking about. When we talk about being saved... We're talking about receiving the antidote. So what's the antidote? Don't miss this. The antidote for distrust is seeing the goodness of God, justice, and grace of God. Now look, in the gospel, because we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the, the law of God no longer is enough 
because we're, at en- we're at enemies of God by nature, we're not going to trust in the law. The, the law will not save us. Us trying to keep rules, the, it will not allow us to see the goodness, justice, and grace of God. Only the gospel will. Now, I'm going to use the word gospel a lot. We use the word gospel a lot around here. It's one of our three circles in the big three circles, right? So when you're talking about the word gospel, understand it literally means good news. The gospel is a proclamation of a reality. What's the reality? The reality is that God became a human being. It's what we just celebrated with the Lord's Supper. He lived a holy life, and He died. The wages of sin is death. Because He never sinned, His death is is able to be a substitute for others. Because He's eternal, there is an eternal capacity within His death to pay for the sins of everyone who believes. So when Jesus Christ, God in flesh, holy God, died, He had the power to forgive all who would believe. When He was raised, He proved that His power was true, and now we not only have freedom from the punishment of sin, which He took on the cross, we have freedom from the power of sin because He's been raised from the dead. When we're talking about the gospel, that's what we're talking about. And it is through the gospel that we will understand the goodness, the justice, and the grace of God. Without the gospel, we're going to remain in sin and continue in brokenness. It is the gospel that is the antidote. As we go through trials and challenges, listen, we're going to encounter evil. And we are going to be tempted to distrust God. Our text shows us how to receive the antidote of God and what He has provided. So if you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, go with me now to Psalm 73. Psalm 73. Let's all stand together. Emery's going to come. She's going to read the entire chapter. You need the whole chapter. I know it's a lot, but she is very qualified. And she has done a marvelous job today. Psalm 73. I don't know why I was in Isaiah. Psalm 73. Uh, do this though. Start there. Read, read that. That's actually a part of it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. yeah Truly ahead. God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them, and they find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease they increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discern their end. Truly you set them in slippery places, you make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes. 
O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant, and I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I I am continually with you. You hold my right hand, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You shall put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for it, but for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell you of all your works. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. Good job, Emory. If you would, go ahead and be seated. Now, if you would, look at Psalm 73. Look closely at verse 1. You'll notice it says a psalm of Asaph. Asaph was a worship leader during the time of David. He was a songwriter. And what uh, we've just entered into here in, um, in, in Psalm 73 is book three of the book of Psalms. They have specific themes that we're not going to go into, but what there are here are several psalms written by Asaph. These are songs that the people would sing as a means of worship. And this song uh, provided wisdom. So this is a wisdom psalm. And what he's doing here, he's dealing with the mo- one of the most difficult, one of the most painful, one of the most hard concepts in theology. And that is the problem of evil. Anyone who's going to think seriously about life is going to have to struggle with and process through the problem of evil. Why is there pain? Why is there suffering? Why is there hardship? And what can be done about it? What you believe about the pain and hardship and struggle and what you think the answer is to that is your religion. That's why there's things like Marxism and socialism and other isms. They are, they are answers, man-made answers to the eternal problems that exist within our souls. What Psalm 73 does for us is it provides us a pathway to understanding the problem of evil and gives us a glorious antidote, answer to what we are dealing with in life and allows us to see what God has done so that we can trust Him and experience victory. Now, this subject is something you'll find throughout Scripture. One, one of the places you can go is the book of Job. When you read the book of Job, remember, I know it's long, but it needs to be understood in its entirety. You got to be very careful that you don't take snippets out of Job, because if you just take a snippet from one of his counselors, you might be tempted to say, oh, this is all completely untrue, or this is completely true. And, And what you find as you read through the book of Job is that the wise counselors don't have the full answer to to what the, the problem of man, the problem of evil is. One of the better places to find it, and I remember this from seminary, is Psalm 37, which was written by King David. And the way I remember that was Psalm 73 and Psalm 37. You just flip it, but it's the same issue being discussed, which is the problem of evil. And the blessing that we have before us is a man who's being very honest. He's sharing his testimony in song. And, and he starts with where he stands, and then he lets us see what he was thinking, and then he ends where I pray that we all end today so that we can all say, 
it is well with my soul. It's the gospel of Jesus that allows us to see what Asaph saw and will enable us to experience this, this glorious, glorious antidote and freedom. So let's look at what God allows those of us who believe. Now again, if you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ, th this is not, you're going to be able to look at this as not a participant but as someone on the outside seeing what's going on. No, you're welcome to step in today. We, we, would, we would enjoy the company, and we would love for you to step in today and by faith receive the glorious gift and, the, and what only the gospel can give. But if you've not yet done that, what I'm talking about is, is, is not something you have, and that should bother you. And I pray that it will lead you to desire this gift that only God can give through Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. So three things. The first one is this. The gospel enables us to see the goodness of God. Notice toward who? Toward the saints. Toward the saints. Verse 1 says, truly God is good to Israel. To those who are pure in heart, there is such a thing as common grace. Uh, the, the sun, Bible tells us, and we saw today, the sun rises on both the just and the wicked. Uh, the, that, that rainstorm last night was a gift to us all, noise and all, right? And so what, what we see God doing is providing common grace, but there's also another kind of grace. It's redemptive grace. And that is only given to those who are pure in heart. How does one become pure in heart? It doesn't mean that you get a, that you uh, make your current, your, your, your heart that was separated from God at birth better. No, that won't do. You don't need a better life. You don't need a better heart. We don't need a better version of you. It's not what God offers in Christianity. What he offers is a new heart. What he offers is a new life. What Christ offers is to make you and me a new creation in Christ. And only those who have a new heart in Christ have the capacity to celebrate and to honor and to celebrate the goodness of God. Everyone else has to look from the, from the outside in. And it's amazing, it's amazing to me how good God really is to those of us who believe. God has been so good to me. Yesterday I was thinking through a time when, like Asaph, I was giving up on God and had already written my resignation and had already explained to God how I wasn't going to talk with him anymore because I just didn't think I could believe in him anymore and how faithful God was to me. One of my, my, favorite, um, one of my favorite parts of the Bible is a, is, a, is a book that a lot of people don't read just because of the title. It's the book of Lamentations. And I know there's a lot of people say, man, I've got enough problems. I don't need to read about somebody else's. It'll just, it'll just pile up. Uh, it's written by Jeremiah, who was known as the weeping prophet. This is a man who struggled with the evils of his world, his own soul, and the situation that he was in. And yet, we come to this glorious portion in Lamentations 3. Let me challenge you to do something over the next three weeks memorize Lamentations 3, 21 through 26. Memorize it. You will be so glad you did. Let me read it to you. Now, when I read this, you're going to, oh, I know that part. Oh, I know that song. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. 
Great is your faithfulness. How many of you guys love the hymn, Great is thy faithfulness? It's where it comes from. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Those who believe will struggle with pain. You'll struggle with circumstances and suffering. You'll struggle with what seems to be the success of the evil, of the wicked, of the world. And, and if you're an honest person, if you're a thoughtful person, you're going to struggle with the problem of evil. You're going to struggle with it. How can God be good and this happened to me? How can God be good and these kinds of things go on in the world? You're going to struggle with those. I appreciate Asaph and what he helps us to, to, to see as he shares his story. But he begins with a confession. He believes the Lord is good and, and that he, he um, reveals himself. He reveals his goodness to those who are impure in heart. So understand, the gospel enables us to see the goodness of God toward the saints. Secondly, what that awakens us to is God's justice. The gospel enables us to see the justice of, of God toward the treasonous. Beginning in verse 2, we see confession. We see an admission. We see him unpacking his problem. This, this section of Scripture, I, let me encourage you to go underline, uh, ver, uh, circle uh, verse 2, verse uh, 13, and verse 17. Verse 2, 13, and 17. What he's doing now is he's talking about the problem of evil and what it did to him. And, and, and how, how he's bothered by what is the seemingly success of the wicked. And so we look in verse 2. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Why? Look at, look at verse 13. So 3 through 12, he's talking about how the wicked seem to have all the best things in life, the comforts of life. Then in verse 13, look what he says. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. What he's saying is, it didn't do any good to be good. What, what did I gain out of being honest and God honoring? Who are the people that seem to have it all? They're the ones who lie. They're the ones who steal. They're the ones who, who are willing to hurt other people to get what they want. And look, they're getting what they want. Here I have, have been honest. Here I have been truthful. Here I've done the right thing. And what has it gotten me? Nothing good. And he's mad. Until he comes to this moment that we see in verse 17. And you might want to underline that word or circle. Until. So he's mad. He was frustrated. Until, verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned therein. Truly you set them in, a slippery, in slippery places and make them fall to ruin. What we see here is Asaph at the beginning actually envying evil. Because it looked to him like they had it made. See, the, the treasonous, those who commit treason, who commit sin, who turn away from God, they always fall into the four P's of idolatry. I share these with you over and over again so that you can be on the watch, so that you can be on the lookout against them. Understand, if you are turning against God, if you are refusing to receive Jesus Christ and live under His leadership and, and have His life in you, 
you're choosing one of these four as your God. You're choosing one of these four as what you're counting on to save you and make your life meaningful. For some of you, it's power. You got to get up the ladder. You got to get in that place where you make the calls, where, where no one can get near you, no one can hurt you because you're going to be in control and, and they're not going to be able to do anything to you. So for some of you, salvation is power. It's not God. It's you positioning yourself to be in control. For some of you, it is pleasure. You, you say, God's word is not true. I was made this way. I have certain desires. And if I want to act on those desires, then it shouldn't matter. The, the Bible shouldn't call it what the Bible calls it because I just want pleasure. I just want what pleases me. I mean, this is what my flesh desires. And so God's wrong. I'm right. I should be able to do with whomever I want, whatever I want, whenever I want. And, and what, what you're basically saying is, God, I don't trust you. You're wrong. I'm right. I'm going to have pleasure any way I want it. For some of you, that's not it. For some of you, it's popularity. For some of you, it's I will give my body to whoever as long as they'll love me and like me. I will lie, I will cheat, I will steal, I will smoke stuff, I will take stuff, I will do whatever is necessary to, to be in the cool kids club. And by the way, kids, once you get to college, it doesn't change. And, and once you get into work and once you become adults, adults, you can, you can vouch for this. If you went to your 10th anniversary, your 20th high school anniversary, same stuff, right? Cool kids still want to be the cool kids, and everybody still wants to do the stuff that, that, and say that you ought to do to be cool. And you know what a lot of people do is, God's wrong, this is right. It's worth me giving up whatever integrity so that I can be popular. The other is possessions. And the world is telling us right now, lie, steal. It doesn't matter. Our politicians lie. The, 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 corporate, the corporations are lying. The, no one's honest. Everyone's doing whatever in their best interest so they can get the most stuff. And there's this, this idea that says if you get the most stuff, you win. So it doesn't matter what it takes to get there. So you can crush people. You can kill people. You can hurt other people as long as you get the most possessions. So understand, if you are not living under the lordship of Jesus Christ, there's your God. It's one of those four. Maybe it's all four. These are terrible gods. What do they lead to? Well, the Bible says they lead to destruction. Here's what you can know. Here's what we can know. Here's what that you need to swallow. Everything leads to the judgment of God. I would encourage you every day to begin your day with Hebrews 9, 27, and then make every decision in light of it. Hebrews 9, 29, 27 says, it is appointed for men to die once, and after that comes judgment. What do you want to be judged for? The wicked will be judged for their sin in this life and the life to come. The wicked will never rest. There will never be peace. There will never be pure security because they know sooner or later they're going to get sick, and whatever thing that they were counting on will be taken from them. There's no peace in it. There's no security. There's no lasting strength. And then they have to face God. And the wicked will be judged for their sin. And the destructiveness of their hell will be determined by how much pain and suffering they caused during their life. The righteous, we don't worry about the judgment of God. Why? Because Jesus Christ has already taken our punishment. So when we stand before God, we know that, that we are free from punishment because Jesus Christ paid it all on the cross. What we're going to be judged for is what we did for God. 
how we exercise stewardship. So whatever you've been given in terms of time, talent, and treasure, you're going to be judged for. And whatever you did for the glory of God, well, there will be a reward, and it will determine how the, your eternity goes as you bring glory and praise to God. Understand, it all ends in judgment, and we're all choosing a path. And what Asaph makes so clear here is that, that we're either going to choose the path of righteousness or we're going to choose the path of wickedness. And all the blessings of God, they come to those who repent and receive God's grace. And what the gospel enables us to do, now look at this number three, write this down. The gospel enables us to see the grace of God and, and what he does toward the repentant. What, what happens here in, in verse 21 and 22 is beautiful. Asaph confesses his sin. We do not naturally want to take sin seriously. We want to make a joke of it if we're religious. If we're irreligious, we don't want to think about it at all. Here's what I want you to understand, though. The less serious you take sin, the less glorious grace is to you. So if you just committed a little sin, you just need a little grace. If, if, if your sin was just tiny, you just need a tiny little bit of the cross. Let me tell you, I've never met anything but great sinners. Good news, everyone in this room, you're a great sinner. You may not be great at anything else in life. You're a great sinner. And can I tell you, we have a great Savior for our great sin. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. The only way you're ever going to appreciate the grace of God is when you begin to take serious your sin. And if you struggle to do this, and many times we all will and do, all you need to do is look at the cross. Here's what you need to remember. God takes sin so serious that he died on the cross for it. So when you want to say it's a white lie, when you want to dismiss something you've done, remember that it cost Christ the cross. That's how serious it is. And when you begin to take sin serious and you begin to act on and believe in the grace of God, you will be so thankful. You will be so happy in the grace of God. Asaph, he confessed his sin and he celebrated God's grace. Let me take you through these verses real quick. He, he, he celebrated now that he was believing in God and receiving his grace. Verse 23, he was so thankful God was always with him. Verse 24, that God was guiding him. He celebrated God's provision. He says in verse 25, I, I love this. I'm going to read this one. Whom I have I in heaven but you, and, and there is nothing on earth I, that I desire besides you. Here's what he knew. What makes heaven great is the fact that God's there. If God's not in heaven, it's just a golden hell. If God's not in your heart, it's just a dead prison. You're just stuck in a flesh, and you're acting on impulses. There's no eternal life. There's no eternal joy. There's no eternal peace. The very thing your soul desires and longs for, that's only found in God. That is only found in Christ. You know what makes heaven heaven? God is there. You know what makes life glorious? It's when God is in it. When he is in your midst, when he gives you that new heart, when his grace is abounding to you, 
And you know, look at verse 26, he will never fail. Everything else will fail you. God, verse 26 will tell you, does not fail. And you need to know this, verse 27, God's going to crush his enemies. And if you are living as an enemy of God, you will be crushed by his judgment for eternity. But hold up and remember verse 28. For all who believe, look what he is to us. He's our refuge. He's our protection. He goes before us. He protects our rear. He is with us. Friends, let me ask you something very serious. Do you trust God? Let me ask the same question another way. This is is the same question. Do you obey God? Well, I don't tithe because, you know, we just don't have a lot right now. We just kind of, have you ever tithed? Well, you know, I just try to give as I can. You don't trust God. Do you share Jesus? Have you shared Jesus? Have you ever shared Do you tell people about Jesus? Well, you know, I'm not an outgoing person. I'm not, you know, I'm just not real comfortable with that. You don't trust God. Some of you, you're here and and you're cheating on your spouse. Some of you with a person, some of you on the internet. Some of you are getting high. And I know your excuse is that the doctor gave it to you. You don't trust God. There's one thing to take medicine as prescribed to help you. What some of you are doing is you're causing your body harm because you don't trust God. Some of you are drinking. Some of you are running around. Some of you are running your mouths. Why? You don't trust God. You think you're right and he's wrong. And that's treason. And that leads to destruction. And I'm begging you to stop. Put your hope in Christ. Trust God. Obey his word. Be grateful for his grace and live like it. And if you will, doesn't mean your life is going to be comfortable. Doesn't mean you're going to have all the answers to all the problems and pains of the world. What it means is God will see you through. And you will have hope. And you will be able to sing what we're about to sing. It is well with my soul. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you for all that you have done to make it well with our soul. Jesus, you've died so that we can have peace with you. You've given us a new heart for those of us who believe so that we can love you and live in obedience to you. And and I'm grateful for that, God. I know there may be some today that don't trust you, and I pray that today is the day they'll say, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. I trust you, Jesus. Take my life. Lord, we have an opportunity right now. Help us to take this moment and really get serious about what we believe. And for all who can, Lord, I pray that we can sing this together with hope. Give us faith to sing this with hope.